I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. You may be listening to the audio recording of this sermon, or you may be watching live. Watching the live stream after the broadcast is also a possibility. In whatever form or at whatever time, we welcome you. And should you conclude this message is according to the scriptures, would you consider sharing this for the benefit of others? We want to spread the gospel, and we want people to know what it means to embrace the authority of Scripture. I'm going to start now with John 17, 20 and 21. John 17, 20 and 21. The setting is Jesus in prayer just before his betrayal and his arrest. Part of that prayer was what I'm going to read In John chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Simple question. What did Jesus want? Unity. He is asking for that, that his immediate disciples and all his disciples might be united. People in the world should see in us, in Christians, the love and unity Christ prayed for us to have. It was of immense importance to him. It ought to be of immense importance to us. Unity. Now, if someone wants to know what an absence of unity looks like, you don't have to look very far or do extensive research. Our nation is divided. That disturbs us. It seems sometimes like there can never be unity in our society again. We may feel hopeless when it comes to unity in our country. I have no doubt that some news media exaggerate the nation's division, and some journalists may even promote it, but nobody can deny it. Our nation is divided, and the religious world is divided. We've known that a long time. As Christians, our relationship with God and with each other should exhibit what Jesus prayed for. People in the world should be able to look to us and say, so that's how this works. That's what unity looks like. But we don't always do a good job at putting that on display. In some cases, the Lord's people have revealed division, have put conflict on display, and have therefore not fulfilled Christ's prayer and have also turned people away from us, turned people away from the message we deliver. Can you imagine this scene? I want you to imagine that you are a Gentile, and you live in Corinth in the time of the apostles, and you are thinking about this message called the gospel, and these people who call themselves Christians, and there is a local church, a local group in Corinth of these people. You are familiar with some of them. They have assemblies and there is preaching and you decide to visit. 
and it is obvious all is not well with these people. They are divided. There is immaturity and competition and conflict. You become aware the Apostle Paul wrote to them about all this, and he rebuked their division. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That's 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. So you question now if you want to be a part of this chaos. It is not that God hasn't equipped his people to fulfill the prayer of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, Listen, as I begin at verse 1, we're talking about God equipping his people to fulfill the prayer of Jesus for unity. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, I'm starting at verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean, but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The attitudes that cultivate unity, the oneness that is specifically outlined here, demonstrate how much God wants his people to be united and the extent of his full, perfect provisions for that to be so. I want to talk to Christians today, and my theme is answering division by pursuing unity. Answering division by pursuing 
unity. Have your Bible ready. Answering division by pursuing unity. I have four things to say about that. Number one, we have a common enemy. I want to make that point from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. I'm going to make the point, we have a common enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. It is well understood in earthly military encounters that identifying the enemy is vital. You cannot do battle against an unknown or unidentified enemy. And what is sometimes called friendly fire gives the enemy a conspicuous advantage. God's people are called commanded, reminded, we have a common enemy. Our adversary is the devil. He seeks to deceive us, cause us to doubt, and be distracted from serving God. He wants us to think the world needs the weight of our devotion. He uses people we might not immediately identify as his ministers. And if he can get us to oppose each other, if he can divide us, That serves his purposes without much effort on his part. James, Peter, Paul, John, the other writers of the New Testament reveal to us not just the value, but the urgency of standing together against a common enemy. We answer division by pursuing unity, and part of that pursuit is clarity about who the adversary is. Number two, we are members of one body. Think of us as a team with connected members, but members that do not all do the same thing. I'm reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The human body is a magnificent wonder of divine creation. We all have one, And we know that when one part isn't working in sync with another part, what you need to do and what you're able to do is at least hindered. Worse, there may be high purposes you cannot accomplish. What we desire is every part of our bodies 
working together in harmony, serving the purpose of our intentions and behavior. Paul uses that imagery here and in 1 Corinthians, and here says the members do not all have the same function. We have in our local congregations men who are visible. You can see what they do at almost every assembly, and you hear from them. Even in the times we are in, with live stream preaching and teaching and websites, there are men you see repeatedly and hear from. We thank God for them, but they are not what it's all about. The local work of the Lord must never be dependent on one man or an eldership. There are unseen heroes who would not want to be called by name, who would not want to be called heroes or praised or celebrated, but they are members who do their part. Find your place in the body and work in harmony with the others. The body is crippled when the members do not work together in unity. Proverbs 20, 35 speaks of ants. They are small. With one step of the foot, we can end their lives. But have you ever seen ants work together? When they have work to do, they form a powerful team of workers, and each one does his part. The passage in Proverbs says they are not strong by themselves, but when they team up, they provide their food in the summer. We respond to division. We prevent division by joining against our common adversary and working together for the glory and praise of God through Jesus Christ. And that brings me to this. We are to have the mind of Christ. We are to have the mind of Christ. I want us to give attention to what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Let's look at what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, first in chapter 1, and then we'll be in chapter 2. In Philippians 1 and verse 8, Paul expresses his affection for the Christians in Philippi with these words, I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. There was nothing ordinary about this. This wasn't a fleeting emotion typical of earthbound people. Paul's love and care for these Christians was Christ-like. The affection of Jesus Christ was in the heart of Paul. Then turn a page over to chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. Listen to verses 1 through 5. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you Look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If we have this kind of love and care for each other, 
if your welfare is this important to me and your love for me contains this kind of humility, we will be treating each other after the model and mind of Jesus Christ. And what a powerful foundation for unity. And what a powerful defense against our adversary and the turmoil and division and strife. I'll go so far as to say there cannot be unity among Christians without this attitude in Philippians 2, 1 to 5, the attitude of unselfish humility. And to this, I should like to add Romans 15 and verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Christians, may I pose this question? Isn't it true that you know people who are not mature in the faith? They are not as knowledgeable as you. They have a good heart, but they are babes in Christ, perhaps in the development of their faith. They are where you were 10, 15 years ago, right? How do you feel about those people? How do you see them? Think about them. And how do you treat them? We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. This is not overlooking sin. This is patience, understanding, and humility based on the perfect model of attitude, Jesus Christ. Without the mind of Christ, without that attitude of unselfish humility, we cannot maintain unity, cannot defend ourselves against division. Number four. We are warned not to sow discord. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. You want to know what God thinks of people who tear up local churches? You learn that before you ever get to the New Testament, before local churches existed. Listen to Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. I tell you, God hated what was happening in the church at Corinth. In Romans, Paul speaks of men who were causing division, creating obstacles contrary to the doctrine. God hates that. The apostle John spoke of that man Diotrephes who wanted to dominate. God hates that. The apostle Peter wrote vividly of men who denied the master who brought them. God hates that. When men of one race want to claim priority over men of different races, Read what Paul wrote about that in Galatians chapter 2, and your conclusion will be God hates that. Christians need to think of sowing discord and dominating others as evil. There are times when impenitent sinners must be confronted to save them, to convert them, perhaps to discipline them. For instance, 1 Corinthians 5 but you will find nothing in that chapter or anywhere to justify tearing people apart or separating people who God wants to be together. 
I have opinions and liberty to express them. You have opinions and liberty to express them, but our opinions are not gospel. One huge step we can all take to prevent division and answer the attitudes that cause division is to be clear about what sowing discord among brethren is all about. Titus 3, 9 through 11. Titus 3, 9 through 11. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. We defend ourselves against division and answer ill-conceived efforts to divide us by living in pursuit of unity with one another. I know in our society, diversity is celebrated Diversity has some value, let's acknowledge that, but we are not all clones of each other. The New Testament affirms and implies we are individual people. We do not look alike, we do not sound alike, we do not have the same origin. Uh, We've had different experiences, we have different personalities and have a right to hold different opinions so long as faith isn't denied. At Laurel Heights, we are a diverse people. But when it comes to our work and worship, our commitment to pure attitude and faithful behavior toward God, what we believe, teach, and practice, we use the Bible and we are one. Even when we cannot meet together in a building, we stay in touch with each other, pray for each other, worship in small groups, love each other, protect each other, join with each other in the financial support of our work. And as written in Ephesians 4, here is what can be said of Christians. When you learn the truth from the one God about the one Lord, and you embrace that one faith submitting to one baptism, you are added to the one body, and you now have the one hope that is revealed in the word by the one spirit. Keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Thank you for listening.